Just a little over a week ago, we saw the tragedy of Connecticut and the slaughter of 20 innocent children and numerous teachers and adults. We know that throughout our country, throughout our world, there's an epidemic of violence and lawlessness. In the year 2012, which is coming to a close in a few days, there have been 18 mass murder events in the United States over the past year. More than 1.2 million violent crimes are committed in the United States yearly, according to the FBI. More than 14,000 murders are committed in the U.S. every year. There are over 1.2 million abortions every year. Innocent children, like those in Connecticut that are murdered in our hospitals. Tonight's message is the CIA and LIC. And I titled it, Licking the CIA. What the heck does that mean? Stay tuned. Joel Rosenberg on his blog, he's a Messianic Jew who has written a series of books. He used to be working for Benjamin Netanyahu over in Israel. Some of the things he brought out in his latest blog was that people are driving the God of the Bible out of their lives, out of their families, out of their schools, out of the courts, out of the media, out of all of America together. They're ignoring the Lord. They don't care to read or follow the Bible. They don't care to obey God or listen to Him. And there are many Americans who say they are Christians, but they don't take their faith seriously enough. They just do what they want to do, but yet say, oh, we're Christians. Jesus, as we know, and John said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. People are asking, what's the way we can move forward and help prevent more mass murders? Well, Jesus says, I am the way. But much of American society doesn't want to turn to Christ for help in finding their way forward. People are asking, what is the truth about how we can heal our society from such violence and lawlessness? And Jesus says, I am the truth. Indeed, the Word of God, the Bible, is filled with this truth about how to transform lives, families, and nations. But much of American society doesn't want to turn to God for those answers, for the truth. People are asking, how can we help these troubled young people improve their lives and experience a full and a healthy life? Well, Jesus says, I am the life. But much of American society doesn't want to turn to Christ for help. The church is supposed to be a beacon of light in our country for people to go there and be comforted and learn and be able to take what they learn and, and live productive lives in their families and, and in businesses. There are 340,000 church congregations in the United States, all supposed to be a shining light of Jesus Christ. Yet in many congregations, the light is dim, in many congregations, there's no light at all anymore. 
They don't believe Christ is the Savior. They don't preach it. They don't believe the Bible is the Word of God. And they don't teach people to obey it. There is a moral and a spiritual disarmament. And we are seeing many of the consequences. If an individual, a family, a church, a nation tells God to leave, he will. But the same God who leaves will listen to the remnant of his people that are still in this land. And that's awesome. Our God is a God of the minority. He's the God who listens to each of our individual prayers. We're not the only people in a church tonight or this Sunday or tomorrow night that are seeking the Lord's face. So we need to take comfort in knowing that God is not through. It's very dark in this world, but God is not through saving people and moving his kingdom forward. CIA takes a licking. A few days, going to be a lot of New Year's resolutions. And I don't know about you, but this last week, how about all the different things we tasted? All the treats, all the meals. Well, CIA takes a licking, but you've got to know what the CIA stands for, and you've got to know what LIC stands for. Well, before we make New Year's resolutions, I want to challenge you to make a revolutionary change in your life and not a resolutionary change. To make a revolutionary change. After you've had all the treats and all the eats, in a few days people are going to say, okay, I'm going to go on a diet. Right? At the end of the year, we're going to start the new year, we're going to watch what we're eating, we're going to get on an exercise program, and that might last one or two days if you're lucky. And then you're back waiting for 2014 to start all over again. Well, nibble here and nibble there and another belt hole appears as we take our little pickings of all the different things. Well, CIA takes a licking. CIA tonight is going to stand for centered in Adam. Centered in Adam. And LIC is going to stand for life in Christ. Okay? We are either in one or the other. We're either centered in Adam or we have life in Christ. Psalm 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Romans 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus, thus death spread to all men because all sinned. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 says, For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. One man can make a difference. One woman can make a difference. One person can make a difference. We just celebrated the birth of our Savior. Well, one family, one journey, one child who changed the world forever. The nativity story. 
You are one. I am one. But with Jesus in us, what difference can we make in the lives that we interact with? Whether it's our own families, our church family, our work family, our school family. What, what difference can you and I have there? Well, a lot has to do is whether you're centered in Adam or you have a life in Christ. We were recently at the Row Clean home a few days ago, and there was a lady there, 60 years old, um, didn't have all her faculties, and we've seen her several times. And we just found out the other day she was hit by a car when she was five years old. So for the last 55 years, she's had some brain damage, and I guess she was too much to handle in her immediate family, and she ends up in this particular home. The other day, we're in the city, and we were walking a lot of people. It was Christmas Eve, and there was a little girl, must have been about 10 or 11, just walking down the street with her mom, and these two guys in their early 20s came by, and this one guy just pushed this girl, just pushed her. And uh, my daughter was with me, and it happened maybe 10, 15 seconds, and she goes, Dad, did you see what just happened? I said, no, what happened? She goes, see that little girl crossing the street that's crying? And I saw her crying. And uh, she said, some guy just came by and pushed her. I said, why did he push her? And Ash said, I don't know. So I looked down, and he was at the next block. I could see, he said, see the guy with the yellow collar? And uh, just push this little girl. So here's like a 20-year-old guy pushes this little girl. She was just an innocent little girl walking with her mom. And we, I asked myself, would a person that's in Christ do those things versus a person that's in Adam? No, of course not. That wouldn't take place. I thought of myself how many times I saw that woman at the home, and I said to myself, how many, you know, I don't know this lady. I don't know anything about her, but here we're finding out as we visit there more and more, this is a real person. She was a five-year-old girl that was hit by a car. Think of that. And for the next 55 years, and now she's 60 years old, lonely and just living in this home down the road. Who are the people in your life that make a difference, that have made a difference up to this point? Think of the people in the past, your parents, maybe teachers, coaches, fellow workers, friends. Who's making a difference in your life now? And are you making a difference in somebody's life? Here's a quote. It is the greatest of all mistakes to do nothing because you can only do a little. It is the greatest of all mistakes to do nothing because you can only do a little. Do what you can. One person can make a difference, and every person should try. JFK said, together we build a brighter future. Romans 5.13 For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where, when there is no law. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. 
Now remember, some of the verses we're going to look at in Genesis. A matter of fact, hold your place and turn to Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. And the verses that we're going to look at right now are before the law, before the Ten Commandments were given. So Genesis chapter 5, verses 5, 6, and 11 we're going to look at. Verse 5, Then the Lord, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in all the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Verse 11, the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. Now remember what Romans 5.13 says, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Sin is not, you're not held accountable. It's not charged to your account. However, that doesn't mean that sin wasn't in the world, and we can see that in Genesis 6, 5, 6, and 11 that there was wickedness in the heart of men. There was a nature that was contrary to what God approved. So bad that the Lord in verse 6 was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. Verse 13 of, Gen of turn to Genesis 13, 13. And again, just want to emphasize, this is before the Ten Commandments was given. So this was a part of man's nature that came as a result of the fall in the garden. Okay? Centered in Adam or life in Christ. All right, don't lose sight of that title. Centered in Adam or life in Christ. In Genesis 13, 13, it says, But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Again, before the law was given. We're going to look at one more uh, section in Genesis. Genesis 18, 20. Chapter 18, verse 20 of Genesis. And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave. You see, there was sin in the world before the law was given. Verse Going back to Romans chapter 5, verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Now, even though there was no law, there was sin in the world. And how do we know that? We know that because it was death. Adam and Eve, when they were created, were never supposed to die. They were supposed to live forever. You and I, in God's plan, were supposed to live forever. But because of Adam, the federal head of the human race was Adam. Because of Adam's choice to sin, that sin was passed down through every generation, including you and I. And we can see that in a little child. You don't have to teach a little child to be bad. They're very good at it on their own. You and I sin 
as a result of what Adam did, but if it wasn't for Adam, you would have blown it. I would have blown it. So it's something that's in our nature. It's a sin nature as we see throughout the scriptures. So death reigned from Adam to Moses. Now, why do they call Moses? Why does it say Adam to Moses and not Adam to Solomon or Adam to David? Well, because Moses was the giver of the law. God gave the law to Moses. So that set a precedent. You had the creation all the way up until the law was given. Death was there as a result of the sin nature of men. Now we're going to see a little later in the chapter why the law was so crucial and such a grace giver that God gave the law because it just showed us, it magnified our sin nature so we could do something about it. Genesis 4.8, you don't have to turn to it, I'll just read it. It says, now Cain, again remember this is before the law, now Cain talked with Abel his brother and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Now, that was not the same sin that we saw in Romans 5.14 that was mentioned, the likeness of the transgression of Adam. It was another type of sin. It was murder. Again, before the law, before we, the commandment that we read, thou shalt not kill, it was still in the heart of man to murder as a result of the fall, as a result of Adam wanting to be independent of God's law. That independence has been passed down throughout history. And it will be continued to be passed down until we're in the new heaven and the new earth. So throughout that time, you and I will be in a tug-of-war struggle of being in Adam or being in Christ. The choice, though, now, as a born-again believer, is you have that choice. Before, you didn't have the choice, right? Before, you were just in Adam. You were centered in that fleshly nature. Then all of a sudden, God opened up your eyes, opened up my eyes. He poured out His grace and His mercy, poured out His Holy Spirit, and now we know we can choose to have, be centered in Adam or we can choose that life in Christ. We're introduced in Romans 5.14 to who is a type of him who was to come. Who is a type of him who was to come? Adam is a type of who who's to come, and that's Jesus. So Adam it was a type of Jesus. How? How is he a type of Jesus? Well, at the beginning, Adam was sinless. He knew no sin. He was a perfect creation. He was a creation. He wasn't a God, although that's what Satan wanted him to think that he could become if he ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He'd be just like God. So he's perking that interest, that fleshly nature. He was trying to stir the pot of doubt against God. God said, hey, you can eat of every tree except that one. So that independence only comes as a result of God putting a restriction on us. By God putting a restriction on Adam, Adam, all the trees except the one, 
that produced the free will that all of us have. The free will to obey God today or to live in our flesh, which is the Adamic nature. The fleshly, sinful nature. It's always there. It will be there until it's buried six feet under. It'll be there. It'll always try to surface its head. So what are we seeing with all these things that are going on in our society? I believe, as the scripture says, that Satan knows his time is short. And we're seeing more and more of the fleshly nature of man being stirred up by none other than Satan and his demons. It's, it's like right out in our faces now. You think about it. The legalization of marijuana on the West Coast. We've already had the legalization of abortion since the 60s. We see the things with same-sex marriages. We see shootings, 18 in the past year, in the United States alone. Things are happening. Adam, Adamic nature, we're centered in Christ. There's going to be a division in this society where you're going to know who the Christians are without a doubt. All those middle-of-the-road Christians will be in the Adamic nature. All the ones that are sold out for Christ, there's going to be that separation. It's going to be a clear-cut separation. Things are happening right in our society with our laws that that's coming out. Going back to how is Adam and Jesus the type of each other? Well, we said sinless at the beginning. Adam was the head of the earth. He was the father. He named all the animals. He was going to start with Eve, the population on the earth. He was the head of everything, just like Jesus is the head of everything. Adam, however, was a sin, bring a sin bringer. He brought judgment. He brought condemnation. Where Jesus brings grace and righteousness and justification. In Romans 5.15 it says, But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. What is the gift that Jesus gives us besides salvation? And of course himself gives us eternal life, gives us justification, just as if we've never sinned. That's how God the Father sees you and I in Christ. He sanctifies us. He sets us apart for his use. He glorifies us. One day we're going to have those immortal bodies, glorified bodies that can never age, can never hurt, can never get sick, can never die again. What's the Adamic nature give us? Gives us guilt. We're sinners. We're condemned. When you look at it, it's not much of a choice there if you had a clear-cut choice. But remember, we're in Adam because we were born as humans with that sin nature. So sin is pleasurable for a season, but the end result is death. And as we mature in Christ, we're much more aware of that when sin is in our face. We can turn and walk away. Where when we first started out with Christ, it was more attractive. It was more of a temptation. Daniel, chapter 12, verse 2, and you don't need to turn to it. I'll just read it. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, 
some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Throughout Scripture, we see there is a final resting place for people, and it's not the same. There is a place where there's going to be everlasting life, and there's going to be a place where there is contempt. Those who live in Adam will face that contemptful place where there's a wailing and a gnashing of teeth. Those who have been delivered by the God's grace and mercy will have life in Christ, not only on this earth, but for all eternity. You see, we're practicing living in Christ now, so we're not strangers when we get up there. We're practicing now our life in Christ. He's doing a work in our hearts. We're new creatures in Christ. We're maturing. We're becoming more and more like Him. We're going to recognize things in heaven because we had the playbook that we put our face in here. But those who are playing Christian games, who aren't really Christians but in name only, they're still in the Adamic nature. The Adamic nature hasn't been crucified with Christ. They're still living. It's not Christ living in them. They have no hope of glory. They're just stuck in that Adamic, deceiving nature. Matthew 26, 28 says, For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remissions of sins. To get out of that Adamic nature, we know that there was a price that was paid. God's almighty blood on the cross was shed for you and for me. It was shed for many for the remissions of sins. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes, whosoever believes, it's not just for everybody, it's not just carte blanche, everybody's going to heaven, because that's not a free will choice. You have to make that decision. I have to make that decision. We have to make the decision now. Are we living in Adam or are we living in Christ? Ephesians 2.8 says that it's by grace you're saved. Through faith. And it's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. See, the only way you can go to a life in Christ is through God's gift. It's not something we can will. We have a free will to choose life in Christ. Lord, fill me up with your Holy Spirit. Let me follow you all the days of my life. That's a desired prayer of our hearts, or should be. But if we don't have God's grace shed on us, we're stuck in that Adamic nature. 1 John 5.11 says, This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. See, eternal life only comes through his son. There's nothing that we have to do. It's a gift already been done by Jesus Christ. We just have to take it. Just like you might have taken a gift given to you yesterday. You just accepted it. You just held it. Romans 5.16. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from the one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. Just think about that for a second. The judgment came from just one offense. In other words, the whole human race was judged as a result of Adam's fall. 
And you might be saying, well, that's not fair. But to understand, we don't make up the rules. Right? We're like that piece of clay pottery. We can't yell to the potter, hey, I don't want to be made this way. God set that emotion through his love for us. And he already had the out. He already had the salvation message taken care of before the Bible says. The Bible says that before the foundation of the world, God died for us. He knew that he was going to be going to the cross at a point in history. Because of our free will, he knew we were going to choose things other than him. And as a result of those choices, he said, I love my creation so much, I'm going to die. So they're going to have a choice when I pour my grace on them to say, hey, I don't want to live that way anymore. I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to be with you for all eternity. And he, and he takes that prayer of your heart and he starts that new work. But notice the free gift came as a result of many offenses. Think how many people were on this earth up until the time Jesus went to the cross. There were millions, probably billions of people. And just as a result of that one man who sinned, judgment came. Jesus dying on the cross set forth salvation for everybody who sinned. Acts 13.38 says, Therefore let it be known to you, brothers, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. Sins forgiven through the one man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. Acts 13.39, And by him everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. See, the law can't save you. The law can't justify you. The law has to be satisfied by being there's a punishment as a result of breaking the law. There has to be a punishment by breaking the law. But you and I have been justified. Again, that word justified means God looks at you and me in Christ just as if we've never ever sinned. Just like when Adam was first put in the garden and Eve was first put in the garden, that's how he looks at you. And you might be saying, but Vinny, I, I sinned this morning. And the thing that I love about that is this. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, all of your sins and my sins were in the future. Think about it. All of your sins and my sins were in the future when Jesus died on the cross. That's tomorrow's sins are already paid for. Today's sins are already paid for. Your children's sins, if you don't have children yet and God blesses you with children, your children's sins have already been paid for. It's just a matter of them saying, I want Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want him to pay for my sins. When God's grace opens up your eyes to the realization that your sins have been paid for and you embrace Jesus Christ, you're justified, just as if you've never sinned. 1 Corinthians 6, <clears throat> verses 9 to 11 says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous people, drunkards, revilers, extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, 
but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You and I should have an indication in our life. We're not sinless. We're not sinless. We're sinners by nature. But do you see God doing a work in your life where you're sinning less and less than you were before? It might just be one less. You might be a smoker, right? And you're trying to quit smoking for the new year and you smoke one less cigarette than you did yesterday. That's awesome. That's a start. That's a stepping stone. You know, that's with anything, whether it's exercise, a diet, whatever. If you're doing just a little more than you did the day before, that is great. The same application is to your walk with the Lord. Do you see your walk with the Lord progressing? And you know, if you're like me, you might have blown it. You might have sinned and stuck in that sin for another five months after you received the Lord. But understand, we just saw Les Mis last night. What a great redemption story. You know, I don't know if you've seen the play or saw the other movie, but there's a movie out right now. It's a musical. Les Mis about redemption, about second chances, and about the, uh, just the world system and how corrupt it is, but yet how one man can make a difference. Just one man can make a difference in so many different lives. Romans 5.17 For if by the one man's offense death reigned, through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Do you see the trade-off here between the two? Between Adam's choice and death reigned through that one choice. Much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. But it's a clear-cut decision. Are you reigning in death today or are you reigning in life? Is there life in your life or is it death? You know and I know what's, what's happening. I know that even as a Christian, I can reign in death. I can want to walk in that Adamic nature. I can let my senses, my hearing be tantalized by the world system that's corrupt and dark. Or I can choose to be in Christ and just walk in the light and walk right through the darkness, pierce the darkness, and, and just pray for the people that I'm walking by that they're touched by the Jesus that's in me. It happens that way. Some of you have experienced that. You've seen other people touched by maybe just something you did or didn't do, something you said or didn't say. Galatians 5, I'd like you to turn to. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. And as we look at these, think of Adam or Christ. Are the things we're going to read CIA stuff or the lick part? Taste and see that the Lord is good. What part are these two in? We're in Galatians 5, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, 
revelries, and the like, of which I tell you before, just as I told you in the time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So would those be CIA things or LIC things? CIA. Okay, centered in Adam. Those are all fleshly things. Now let's look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. And obviously, that's life in Christ. Those things that we just saw that are produced as a life in Christ are Christ fruits. Those are fruits that God produces in your life and my life as a result of walking in Christ, life in Christ. <clears throat> in 1 Corinthians 15, 21, it says, For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. And also later on in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, As we have borne the image of the man of dust, that's you and I, we bear the image of the man of dust, Adam, made out of the dirt. We shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. And that's our glorification. One day we'll still, we see Jesus face to face and we'll know him as he is. We'll have our glorified bodies and we'll no longer have to worry about the Adamic nature. That day, everybody, is coming. We understand that the person who died in Alaska might have been a Christian. He's got his glorified body now. Those little young people in Connecticut, the moment they closed their eyes, they woke up in the presence of Jesus Christ. How awesome is that? How awesome is that to know that one of the shooters, as Pastor Joe said, I'm sorry, not one of the shooters, one of the victim's um, dads came out publicly and said, I forgive the shooter. Remember um, Stephen, the first martyr? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. The same words that Jesus said at the cross when he looked down at everybody that was mocking him. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. We've been ignorant for a long, long time, and then God opened up our eyes. We didn't know what we were doing. We were on a highway to hell. And God intervened and detoured us towards the cross and through the cross. Isaiah 61.10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he has, here's some more of his gifts through salvation. For he has clothed you and me with the garments of salvation. You have, you got the new clothes you got yesterday as gifts. You have the new clothes, the garments of salvation that have been fitted and put on you by none other than Jesus Christ. Jesus has covered you with the robe of righteousness. You're righteous in his sight. You're perfect in his sight. You can't understand that because we're looking through Adamic eyes. But if we look through Jesus' eyes, 
were perfect in him. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, as a bride adorns herself with jewels, is how God has ordained you and me and, and, and clothed us with his gifts. Some more gifts we see in 1 Peter 2.9. You are a chosen generation. I'm looking at people that have been chosen by Jesus Christ. How awesome is that? You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy people. You're his own special people, handpicked by him. God chose you. He chose me. We're special people in his sight. And one of the things he wants you and I to do is proclaim the praises of him who called you and me out of darkness into this marvelous light. I want to wrap up with a couple more verses. One is from Revelation. It says in Revelations 1.6, just emphasizing what I just read in 1 Peter, he has made us kings and priests. Did you ever think of yourself as a king or a priest in God's family? That's what he calls you. That's the way he looks at you. To his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. In Revelation 3.21, he says, and I want to encourage you on this and then just read you one last thing. In Revelation 3.21, it says, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. To him who overcomes. Are you an overcomer? Have you been through some battles? And if you're sitting here tonight, you're part you're in part of the overcoming process. God is taking you through. Now, check this out. What kind of throne is this? I can't wait to see this throne. To sit with me on my throne. That's going to be awesome how that happens. How we're all going to sit with God on His throne. As, and here's the one I want to encourage you with. As I also overcame and sat down with my Father on His throne. Jesus went through this life that you and I go through every day. The only difference was he didn't sin, but he was tempted in all ways like you and I, but he overcame. And now he's sitting down with his father on his throne. Now he's getting ready to come back one day and to meet us in the air. You know, I think he's, I think he's sitting like this. I'm hoping he's sitting like this. Here's his throne where he's sitting with his father. But I'm hoping he's like this. Just ready to push off and just meet us, meet us in the air. What a day that's going to be when we meet God in the air. I want to finish tonight with something that is usually you see at Christmas time. But how much one person can make a difference. He was born in an obscure village, the son of a peasant woman. 
He grew up in another village where he worked in a carpenter's shop until he was 30. Then for three years he became a wandering preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family or owned a house. He didn't go to college. He never visited a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of those things one usually associates with greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. He was turned over to his enemies and went through a mockery of a trial. He was executed by the state. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for his clothing, the only property he had on the earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Twenty centuries have come and gone, and today he's the central figure of the human race and the leader of mankind's progress. All the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned, put together, have not affected the life of man on this earth as much as that one solitary life. Now that one solitary life is living in you and me. What difference in this world can you and I make with that one solitary life that has changed history, that is moving everything towards his story and the culmination of history? The best is yet to come. Keep overcoming in Christ. Crucify the flesh daily. Be a living sacrifice every day. Have your mind transformed by God's Word. And don't be conformed to this world that's getting darker and darker. Stay plugged in. Keep your face in the book. Come out on rainy Wednesdays. Keep getting fed. Keep talking to the Lord and see where He brings you in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your solitary life that sets the standard for all men, women, boys, and girls. Father, we do pray that we would be crucified with Christ, that that Adamic nature would be crucified, and that you would reign and live in and through us, through our hands, through our feet, through our eyes and ears through our heart, through our feelings, Lord. Just transform us and continue to do that, Lord, from the inside out. And Lord, I just pray if there's anybody...